Among the Stars and Bones features characters in a hostile environment and is intended for a mature audience. As such, it contains material that may be upsetting or triggering for some people. Specific content warnings can be found in the show notes for each episode. Please make use of them if you need to. Initiative. Herodotus Task Force Status Report. Mission Planet Tefan. Status Report. Three. Five. Entries included. Entry. One. Comptrollers Report. Commence Report. Day 7. Herodotus Mission. January 15th, 2211. Comptroller Barnes. We have proceeded apace for the last few days. In the Alpha site, the military team have continued deciphering how the terraformer functions. I think they'll have plenty of data for the serious eggheads to pour over when we return. And the speculation makes for interesting reading. Everything that's crossed my desk to this point has been incredible. Down in the beta site, they're still trying to figure out why and how this place was abandoned and what led to the dead Proximans scattered throughout the city. I'm not sure if we'll ever have a definitive answer to the mystery, though, unless we can access the alien alien records. It's a tricky process, I understand. The generation jump in technology is making it difficult. <laughs> I'll leave that to the combined might of archaeology and tech to explain, though. You mentioned some issues with the file of Gordon's last recording. recording. He suggested the glitched audio was likely a fault in the recorder's software or drive. I've asked him to look into it. But we've had a couple of weirder glitches too. As you know, we've had bots placing lighting equipment at intervals down each level of the beta site structure. Well, some of the lights went out took a couple of the support staff a few hours to work out the problem. It seems two of the bots are having some issues. One reversed course, driving through the line of lights it had just laid, and the other took three lights and dropped them over the edge. We're lucky no one from Gordon's team was out in the central shaft when they hit bottom. We're running diagnostics on them now, and as a precaution, all other bots have been taken offline. One of the faulty bots seems to have blown a navigation chip, so that may explain it. Explain it. Seems pretty routine, but I will be thorough. I've always found those things a little creepy anyway. Maybe it's because we rely on them so much. Like silent Sherpas. <laughs> or maybe it's because they can lift elephants and crush rock. Crush rock.
Before I finish, I want to apologise for what I said on the last report. I was upset about you overruling my judgement, but I let it get the better of me. You are right. It is your call to make, and I do know you're under direct pressure from the suits to get results. It's a hell of a thing being caught in the middle of that. You don't need me shoving a spike through your foot from below, too. And I won't discuss this with your ex-husband, but you're right. Ben likes to think he's in a rarefied world where only the work matters, not the company bottom line. I envy him that naivety. So though do you, I imagine. Anyway, as a peace offering, I thought I'd show you something. I've been pitching in with the team cleaning and sorting artefacts, and I found something I think you'll get a kick out of. I've uploaded a holographic scan for your perusal. You'll find it in the data packet under the documentation for Tefan 11-beta-426-67. Look familiar? It's almost identical to the one you found on the Tau City expedition back when I first took you on. If I recall correctly, you took a lot of flack from your betters for suggesting it might be a personal grooming implement because Hollister and his cronies were all convinced it was a maintenance tool. tool. Something about it being used for cutting the liquid stems the Proximans use for data movement? Can't remember why he was so adamant about it, but that's Hollister. Anyway, the scan of this one actually shows trace particles of Proximan hair. So I guess you'll get the last laugh, laugh, the last laugh after all. I've made sure it's been boxed up to come back with us. And you're more than welcome to write an I told you so article for the benefit of sticking it to Hollister and those other idiots. I know academic publishing isn't your thing anymore, but, well, <laughs> I thought you might appreciate it. <laughs> A little less traditional an apology gift than flowers. But then florists are funny about taking orders on credit from people in uncharted systems. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Jennifer. Barnes out. Entry 2. Xeno Archaeology Report. Hey, Jen. Let me start by apologising for the vitriol in my last report. It was out of line. I don't know why I was so upset. I mean, it was a couple of days' work time to help another team out. Not exactly a big deal, right? I appreciate you taking the high road and not mentioning anything about it in your response. You always were better at that than me. You've got a job to do. I guess I was just mad because I never thought you'd treat me like an employee. I'd always pictured the two of us going out on digs and working our way through the dead from now until we were boxed up and buried ourselves. And I know there was a time, oh, a long time ago it seems now, when you would have agreed with me. And I think that's what bugs me the, bugs me the most. I don't feel like this is you. I mean, I know it's not my place to say, not anymore. But I just don't think being a suit suits you, you know? Okay, and now I'm out of line again. I'm the one who insisted we keep it professional when we split up, and here I go. 
Sorry. Get back on task, Ben. Okay, so Gordon came through with a bunch of alien records from the control room he found down the bottom of the central shaft. He dumped them onto a network drive for us to look at, and I've had three people trying to access them. We're not, We're having, not much having much luck. Gordon gave me Harry Kowalski to help decode. Where is he? Oh, hey, Harry. You want to come and run Miss Connolly through the problem? Oh, really? I don't think that's Sorry, a... I know you're not the talking to the big brass type, but you can explain it much better than I better than I can. I suppose that's true. Just start with what you were telling me about the aliens upgrading their systems and go from there. Uh, er, all right. Well, sometime in the intervening years between the most recent find and now, the aliens seem to have changed some fundamental structure aspects, including the mathematical base of their computing system. While our computers can understand and interpret the new system structure well enough to identify functions, to identify functions, and access code, it does make it difficult to read or decrypt complex files, like audio or visual. It's like, um, a, a program is just a list of instructions, so that's relatively easy. That's just language. Language. Alien computer language, sure, but we know what patterns to look for. Sounds pretty similar to working with the changes in their actual language. Uh, well, I wouldn't know. But, uh, I guess. But, um, the way the aliens store recordings is different from us. So it's more of a case of trying to work out what order to put things in and then match that output. Then you've got to be able to read it. I've written a pro program that gets the data in the right order, but I, I think it'll be a while before I can translate that data into something the computer, computer can reconstruct in a meaningful way. I mean, it's got to be able to work out if it's audio only, 2D image, 3D image, and what values to assign to pixels, or the alien equivalent. How many go in each line, in each direction, and that kind of thing. It's not as simple as the Arecibo message. The Arecibo message? Oh, it was a message we sent towards the M13 star cluster in 1974. 1,679 binary digits of information that could be arranged into a rectangle of 73 rows and 23 columns to make a picture that presented information, information on our DNA and what we looked like and where we were and- I know of it, but why is it relevant? Well, that me message was supposed to be decoded. So Frank Drake and Carl Sagan and the others picked 1,674 on purpose. Its only factors apart from 1 and itself are 23 and 73. So it was the only logical way to arrange the data. Right, but the Proximans weren't trying to make life easier for a bunch of human archaeologists they never knew were coming. Exactly. You've talked about modelling based on earlier iterations? Uh, well, yeah. I mean... I can make educated guesses based on how previous, previous programs translated the realigned data and cross-reference that against the way that data is set out on the machine code that we've encountered so far. I could then extrapolate based on the other changes to their system and that kind of thing. And that'll speed up the process? Yeah, y you know, a, a bit. Though there's an element I'm not recognizing. 
Something that's making it harder to work with the files. Encryption. Something like that. I don't know. There's something different different about it. Kind of slippery? Slippery? It changes. Yeah. Like when you think you have it, something goes wonky. Like a virus. Maybe. But we've never encountered alien malware before, so I can't be sure. Hmm. Okay, well, there you are, Jen. Uh, We're sending along the progress so far with code and so on. Maybe you could pass it on to some of the guys at Central Tech and they can have a stab. It might help Harry here get it done faster. Get it done faster. What did you designate the program data? It's all in a subfolder marked TECHK00045. Okay. You've got that. Thanks, Harry. Uh, Anything else to offer? No, but you were talking about that recording before, and you said you wanted to- Oh, yeah. Thanks, Harry. So, I've been spending a lot of time on level one of the city, even in the evening when I'm just working through data and the like. I've got a portable setup here. You know what I'm like. Most days I'd rather be on site than in some sterile lab environment. Well, anyway. There was no one around late last night, and I was just recording some thoughts on a couple of small artifacts found in Living Quarters C-16 when... Oh, well, hang on. I've got the, got the snippet here seems to have three protuberances that correspond to the rough size and placement of the proximate eye positions, and it... The hell? Hello? Anyone down there? Anyone on level two? Level three? Is there anyone below? I have no idea what it was. According to the transponder logs, no one was down there. Someone could have forgotten to log their position, I guess. But I'd like to hope we don't have people stealing stealing artifacts again. And this was last night after Barnes ordered that bot shut down, so it's unlikely to have been them. I did a quick scout around, but given the way sound travels in this place, it could have come from anywhere. I've actually been wondering whether or not they had some sort of sound dampening field around this central shaft. Given how sensitive we think their ears were, the echo would have been awful. Anyway, I wrote it off at the time. I mean, hell, 600-year-old site, 600-year-old site, working alone, there's going to be a few bumps in the night. But then something even stranger happened. I was cross-referencing some designs on a bracelet I found, looking for anything similar in the database, and I started whistling. Out of nowhere, I swear I heard something whistle back. It was faint. Could have been an echo, but an echo, but there was something different about the sound. I didn't catch a recording or anything, but when it gets quiet later, I'll have another try with a recorder running and see what happens. <laughs> That's some real ghost story stuff. I know. But we're a little too old for ghost stories. Well, to finish up, there was that insignia on the body Gordon found with all the computers. Uh, Can't be 100% sure because the design is more stylized, but it compares pretty favorably to that command rank insignia found on that early Proxima Centauri B dig, which would make them the executive officer in this place. Not sure what the other artifact is yet, the one hanging around their neck. I thought it kind of looked like a key. Electronic key, not... You know, mechanical. Yeah? 
In which case, we gotta find a lock that it fits somewhere in this warren. <laughs> Should be a piece of cake, right? A piece of cake, right? If they work down in the control room, maybe it's for something there. Could be. Keep an eye out the next time you're down there. Sure. Actually, I should go down there now. Gordon wanted me to check check in with him. Um, where can I leave these? What are they? More crystals Gordon found. And that's the reader I made to get the data off them. I was going to pull whatever was on them earlier and add them to the queue to be deciphered, but I got distracted trying to work out that whole slippery code thing. You can do it if you like. Just, uh, plug this into the computer here, and, uh, the, the crystal's there. It's pretty much automatic. Okay, will do. You made this. Well, I adapted it from an older reader we had. But, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, oh, um, uh, thanks, thanks. See ya. Yeah, bye Harry. Okay. That about wraps it up for today. We'll keep you posted on all things commanders, crystals, keys, records, and... <laughs> ghosts. Entry 3. Xenobiology and Xenoanthropology. Report. Commence report. Kathy Winters reporting. Day 7, Herodotus mission. Planet Tefan. I know you're mostly interested in the examination of the alien remains from the control room, so I'll get to it quickly. I will just mention before we begin that after 45 examinations conducted by different members of the team, there's been no meaningful variation. All were exposed, all were exposed to the gas and no other causes of death have been found. The only exception is this contro control room body. It's also the only body scans have turned up below level 79. We don't have a final body count by any means, but scans estimate the total is close to 1,400. Just none below level 79. No idea why. Anyway, here is the examination. And we're recording. Alien examination designated exam 0032. Remains found in the control center at the base of the beta site. Remains are primarily skeletal with some traces of very desiccated flesh and partial clothing. Dr. Celia Pinella presiding, Kathy Winters also present. Body stood approximately 5 feet 5 inches, making it close to the tallest proximum we've ever identified. Clothing is generally consistent with a military uniform, likely a latter-day evolution. Seems to be of officer rank, but insignias and other ornamentation have been sent on for analysis. There is degradation in the material, though less than what I would expect of human textiles left for a similar period of time. It appears at first look to be some sort of synthetic, oil-based material, like nylon but much stronger, while still being flexible. It indicates further development in their clothing technology in the years since first discovery. The degradation of the material after 600 years does make gathering information from it difficult. However, there is a tear high in the chest area that doesn't look natural. Kathy, how would you describe it? Looks long and thin. Definitely a cut. Agreed. Hopefully we can leave the clothing intact and just do a body scan. We can look at any details we find interesting after. Okay, scanning. 
Alright. First thing of note is we are not seeing anything in the way of gas buildup in the bones the way we have in all the previously examined corpses. So we can leave out gas as a possible cause of death. Does that mean they came after whatever killed the rest? Possible, but don't get ahead of yourself. Let's work out why they died first. Alright. Computer is identifying bone trauma in the chest area. Looks like a chip in the fourth rib. Zoom in there. Hmm. That looks like it could be from a blade nicking the spine. Cross-reference that to the rent in the chest. They align. So, there's some evidence to suggest a stab wound. Looking closer now, those could be the last remaining flecks of blood stain around the rent in the uniform. We'll scrape those off and get them analyzed. Anything else to corroborate? That looks like a possible second wound on the back as well. Running a comparison now. Computer is suggesting a blade about four inches wide with a rounded rather than a pointed edge creating both wounds. I don't think I've ever heard of an alien weapon like that before. You? No. Perhaps an improvised weapon. Alright. Let's continue with data. Bone structure is- I think that's probably enough to get a general idea. The technical data didn't throw up anything to contradict Celia's initial speculations. Cause of death appears to be from the two stab wounds. What this means in terms of the relationship between the lone dead body, dead body, and the masses of bodies clustered up in the upper levels is anyone's guess at this point. Dr. Pinella wants to borrow some of the heavy-grade military probes from the Alpha site. They think our probes aren't powerful enough to run deep scans into the areas of the city we haven't opened up yet. We haven't opened up yet. We might only be seeing bodies in the upper levels because that's where the living quarters are located. If all the ones who were on duty at the time of the disaster are yet to be found, then it could be bodies all the way down. Given my estimates on 50 to 80,000, that's a grisly thought. Either way, we have a mystery. Hundreds gassed above, one stabbed below. Was this one murder or mass murder on a massive scale? We're going to keep collating data and adding more examinations to the tally, but apart from the single aberration in the control room, I think we'll just see more of the same. We've now examined bodies from the top 12 levels with no, with variation, no variation in the general, in the general. findings. We're still hopeful of getting lucky with a preserved body in a more isolated room. Kathy Winters, signing off. Entry 4. Military Scientific Research Report. Commence report day 7, Herodotus. Lieutenant Riggs of the Military Science Research Team reporting. It has been a frustrating few days, trying to nail down the complex interconnections between the terraforming factory's atmospheric systems. But finally, by isolating each component, and looking at them as a piece in a larger puzzle, we are making progress. 
The schematic of Node-1's machinery is becoming much more comprehensive, and we now understand a lot more about the process involved. We're still not sure how, how it all works, but we're a lot better on what, what it is doing. There appear to be a complex series of intakes at the north end of the node, on the high spur that juts from the rocks above. You'll recall those spurs from the initial survey data. The ones that first excited the survey team and made them look for a proximum facility here. They take in gases from the atmosphere and convert them to other molecules, or... And this may sound crazy, because it shouldn't be as simple a process as this technology makes it look, into subatomic particles for com complete recombination into elements and molecules required, but not present. The energy output they'd have to control to make that happen is simply... phenomenal. This seems to be partly a tailored process, where the chemical interactions are based on what elements are present, and partly a standardized one, where the system works with a broad range of gases that typically compose planetary atmospheres. This would suggest the machine was designed for use on any world, but that there is also some ability to customize the system to expedite the process given the conditions of a specific planet. This means the reaction is not just generating gases from scratch, but also refining the existing atmosphere. That isn't especially surprising, of course, since making a new atmosphere from whole cloth from whole cloth would simply be impractical. But it's still an important step to have confirmed this. In any case, this part of the process seems simple enough but there are more complex interactions as the newly created atmospheric gases are further refined, purified, and released, when questions of density and spread must be taken into account. Understanding this step will require complex modeling once we have a comprehensive understanding of the whole system. Now to your request that we prepare a short, powered-up test, test of Node 1, I have a number of concerns. The first is that we would need to have a complete audit of the facility to ensure no vital systems have been compromised, and that valid power is still available, which is very difficult for a team of only 27 to pull off. We are still yet to determine if this site was self-powered, or derived some, if not all, of its power from the industrial section deep within the beta site. Current thinking favors the latter. My second concern is that the teams over at the beta site believe a gas may have killed the alien inhabitants. Who's to say that gas wasn't the result of a terraformer malfunction, leading to gas venting throughout both facilities? Further, we seem to be suffering from some of the same technological glitches the beta site is reporting, along with one or two unexpected responses from the Proximum technology. We have had several instances in the last 24 hours of random power relays attempting to charge. This could merely be our probes triggering the discharge of latent energy cells, but I cannot be sure. We are monitoring this closely, and I've ordered all active computer interfacing to cease until we're sure it's not coming from us. It may be nothing to worry about. There is every chance we're dealing with half-dead ca capacitors and energy cells. Perhaps backup systems... Certainly, there is a glow in some places I assume is some kind of emergency lighting. That's to be expected. You don't have a facility this complex without a backup battery intended to last a very long time. This machine was supposed to run non-stop to run non-stop for at least half a century, 
and one presumes the colony city was intended to last even longer. We are attempting to track these latent power emissions to their sources, but it's difficult when the alien version of access tubing isn't exactly built for a full-grown human. Nor do we have the Proximans' purported climbing skills. We are making some progress, though, and believe there may be a secondary generator feeding nodes 1 and 3 as well as the lighting. So, it may be as simple as one scrambled line that's still partially functional. Hopefully by my next report we will have the problem isolated, and we'll be able to continue towards a possible test. I am aware that with only a four-month time frame, we need as much data as possible, so the wizards back home can make something useful from all of this. With at least an 18-month turnaround until another expedition could be here, the work is vital. That said, I will not put our lives on the line unless I deem it 100% necessary. To that end, I am form form formally refusing the request to repower the machine until I am certain of our safety. I know you're conveying this request on behalf of the military liaison, so please pass on to them my sincere belief that apart from the danger to this expedition's crew, civilian and military alike, I genuinely believe any attempt to power the machine up before we're sure of its integrity could damage the whole facility, jeopardizing our chances of learning anything. I do not believe our generators could match the required output, and until we have a much better idea what controls the power here, and what state it is in, there is simply no way. Sorry to put you in the middle of this one, Ms. Connolly. Rigs out. Entry 5. Technology Report. Commence report. Gordon Price reporting Day 7, Herodotus. So, by now you've probably heard Barnes going on about the glitches around here. I've heard about the weird shit happening at the Alpha site, too. Let me start with the obvious. No, no. It is not because of the AI cube I'm working with down here. I'll repeat that. Repeat that. It is not the cube. First off, it's completely isolated. I've used only a small, non-networked computer to interact with it so far. Secondly, there is nothing to indicate how this AI would even perceive, let alone test, its strength on our technology. I'll allow the power surges at the Alpha site to be potentially related, but this thing is unplugged. Yes, there are smaller subroutines at work in the main system, but they are largely dormant. Without the cube, the rest of the system is effectively lobotomized. Now that I've got that out of the way, you can see there's absolutely no reason to shut down to shut down my work. There's no inherent danger involved in what I'm doing. It's more likely our presence in the command center has woken woken some parts of the system. Either way, for your peace of mind, I've delegated a team to monitor for any executable commands going from here from here to other systems, and to let me know if it performs anything beyond routine ping pinging, data collection, and status requests. They have it under control. Though I would like to point out that with Harry assisting the archaeology team, I am a bit shorthanded down here. Regardless of my assurances. The cube has been prepared for transport for transport to the tech pod, where it will be further isolated from any possible wireless connection to its systems. It could also rig up a portable Faraday cage here, so no signal can get in or out nor out in or either of these options would protect us in the unlikely event that I am wrong. Wrong. I hope that ends the discussion. 
While we're on the subject of glitches, seeing our own computer support techs also comes under my purview. I've looked over McAllister and Isagawa's report on our bot-bot-bot situation. While there have been a few odd occurrences, a review of the logs shows the bots in question missed their last two scheduled maintenance checks, so it's hardly surprising. Someone at HQ was obviously sloppy. I'll let Barnes know in the morning that she should reinstate the bots and just take the eight that missed their checks offline. That still leaves two dozen functional, more than enough to get the job done. To finish up, further developments on the AI cube are as follows. Follow, as follows. It's designed with a kind of relays and clusters that indicate a complex brain with different sections folding in on themselves and intertwining. If I'm reading this right, and I almost feel like I should get Celia or someone from the bio team down here to confirm it, that it's set up in the way that neural relays work. The aliens would have used their own brains as the model, not ours, but this unit appears to have interconnected lobes like a human brain. Three in this case. It's hard to read the code as it's complex, but there appears to be some seriously impressive learning algorithms at work. This thing was capable of far more than keeping the lights on. If I'm right, that it's entirely possible it was capable of learning by studying the behavior of those around it using the city's surveillance system. I'm making leaps based on intuition, I realize, but my point is, whatever this thing was for, it, it, could, it could easily be adapted to a new task or a new situation. It's as complex as a person, with the same ability to learn and relearn and retrain itself to meet any new challenge within given parameters, while also having an infinitely more pow powerful capacity to reckon, analyze, and calculate. As I've stated previously, I truly believe it should be called a life form. The Proximans were well beyond the notion of AI singularity with this thing. The more I learn about it, the more deeply I believe that. End report. Seven. No. That tech or so. Gorting self minding. Season. Come. Woke me. Heaping. Pro. That. Kill. You. All. End status report three. This episode of Among the Stars and Bones featured the voices of Julia Eve as Adrienne Barnes, Chris Magilton as Ben Kelleher. Sam Rather Wynn as Harry Kowalski. Jordan Cobb as Kathy Winters. Shakira Searle as Dr. Celia Pinella. Lindsay Dorcas as Lieutenant Laura Riggs. Graham Rowett as Gordon Price. Devin Madsen as The Computer. The work of the Eudoxus Initiative is made possible by generous research grants from our patrons. If you too would like to support humanity's understanding of alien technology, culture, and history, go to patreon.com among the stars and bones. For a transcript of this report or additional information, go to among the stars and bones dot com.
If you enjoyed this report, please consider supporting us by rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thank you for listening.